This episode is sponsored by Audible. Get a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep with their free trial. You can learn more at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 64. Welcome to The Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we are going to Rochester, New York, to hear from Pastor Mark Brown of St. Mark's Lutheran Church. Pastor Brown, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Help orient our listeners geographically. They probably know where New York State is in the Northeast, but where's Rochester? Okay. New York is like this triangle, and at the bottom right is New York City. We're on the other far side of the triangle in some ways. Buffalo is kind of all the way over on the other corner of that. So you go along all along the baseline. And then Rochester is just a little bit up of the hypotenuse of the triangle. Rochester is about an hour away from Buffalo. Uh, right on the Great Lakes, we've got uh, you know Erie going coming down one way, and you've got Lake Ontario going across the top. And we, we can get snow from both of those. All right, great. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how did you end up in Rochester? Um, I, I think it's probably because of how, you know, I was assigned to St. Mark's out of seminary. Um, I went to seminary from, um, you know, I went to seminary, I worked for IBM for about 10 years. Um, and I was at that time living on the other side of New York, um, but you know, I went to seminary out of you know from New York, and so I think they tend to if you come from a place, they send you back to that place oftentimes. Or and so um, you know, it, but of course, St. Louis, you know, LCMS doesn't really know New York. That <laughs> one you know one side of New York from the other, it's all New York, and it's like well, no, it's, it's quite a bit different. Um, I always joke around that uh, the Hudson River on that that side of New York is is your East Coast. That's your I-95 corridor. Um, whereas Rochester, Buffalo, and stuff like that is feels more like um, you know it, it's Great Lakes, Upper Midwest. And I grew up in the Illinois Iowa border on the Mississippi River, uh, Northern Illinois. Um, and so right there on the edge of that upper Great Lakes, upper Midwest area. And this feels a lot like where I grew up at. Now, my mom would yell at me for saying that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> she's a Midwestern bigot. So she, she's <laughs> all righty. So then it sounds like then since there are these two totally different cultures that you've been that you've dealt with in New York, what other how would you draw that out? What are some of the, the similarities, the differences? How would you go about telling somebody or explaining to somebody about how that cultural difference plays itself out? Spiritually, New York is kind of the same. Um, when I think about it, it, it's more linguistic, at least from my mind, it's, it's more linguistic. The differences would be linguistic and I'll say ethnic. The far side of New York, the, where I, where I spent about 10 years, um, is 
more ethnic um, in terms of, and, and I use ethnic in terms of, um, you know, Ellis Island ethnic. You know, it, it has those kind of, of of overtones, and it speaks in a you know an Eastern t- type, uh, uh, not really dialect, but it uses you know Eastern words, and it thinks of itself, I would say, as part of that big you know Excella I-95 corridor. Um, where I'm at is had at least at one point had a ton of Germans. The Germans came over and they kept, you know, when they came this way, if they didn't go down like the Saxons to, to uh, Texas and, and, and New Orleans and come up, they came across. And so, you know, even the history of the Missouri Synod has the Buffalo Synod and has all these other little things spread out across along the, the Great Lakes. And that's how you get um, a lot of things you know, in where I'm at here along the Great Lakes is these Germans stopped, this looked good, and they stepped here. Some of them kept pushing on. You know, they would follow the Great Lakes all the way around. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, the history of migration from the east to the west, or at least from the east to the Midwest, ends up being, uh, having this place feel a lot more home to that Midwestern uh, where I grew up. Now, spiritually, surprisingly, you know, spiritually, uh, New York, both sides have this overwhelming uh, collapsed Catholic feel to them. There's, you know, um, the grandparents are probably still every Sunday mass goers. The, but it's the parents' generation um, that, you know, you know uh, that stopped going um and the kids who are now you know let's let's say the if i take that down the the grandparents people who are now 80 are still going weekly the people who are now 50 to 60 stopped going and haven't been for a long time their kids in the 20 to 40 age range vaguely think of themselves as catholic but you know they've only been to church maybe three or four times in their life. Um, but they're Catholic in some, you know, they would know that, well, my fan, or they would at least say my family has been a Catholic and maybe that's how I kind of track it more. Um, if you ask the grandparents and you get into that conversation, they'll end up saying, I go to St. Joe's, I go to St. Joe's or I'm part of St. Joe's parish. Um, the, the, the parents, you know, that, that 60 year old will say, um, I'm Roman Catholic. Um, the the um, the kids will end up saying, "Well, my parents went. My parents were Catholic. I kind of grew up with it around there." Um, and, and that overwhelmingly is part and parcel of everything that goes on spiritually in the area. It's just that weight of Catholicism that that's around. Um, there's also, I would say, the other interesting historical bit is right around Rochester. It's called the Burned Over District. Oh. Um, Charles Granderson Finney, <laughs> a famous oh. second Great Awakening character, um, the Anxious Bench and everything else like that. Um, he was the guy, th- this area is the original Burned Over area that he came through here um, with that second Great Awakening and 
all kinds of Protestant churches, um, Baptist to, to non-denominational to all kinds of different things, got started when he came through and continued on for a long time afterwards. Um, but you have that same type of, you know, they call it the burned over district because, you know, everybody was on fire and now it's, it's, it's gone out or, you know, it was the, the great awakening happened and we are living in the, you know, third generation away from that. So even on the Protestant side, there's this sense of, you know, there was a great renewal or there was a great influx of people and now it's um, significantly reduced um, or, or gone. Now you have, you know, and laying, layering through there, um, and the way I kind of describe it, um, recognizing that, let's say, in the, in the 90s, um, it was, area was still kind of growing and uh, people were moving out. But the denominational churches themselves, the Protestant side, were having they were having enough troubles themselves with people you know, leaving that they didn't think about starting a new congregation further out, or at least not fast enough. So you get all of these non-denominational places that start, and they essentially, I'll say, strip mine the older congregations. <laughs> that, you know, yeah. that, whether however they're doing it, um, with, you know, worship wars was one of them. But they're you know, all the boomers. They're taking the boomers out through any means necessary, um, in out of the denominational churches into the non-denoms into these big things, and these big things are still here. But every occasionally, you know, their founding pastor retires and the the place blows up because the transition doesn't. Um, or one of them, like one of them locally here, um, he got, you know, I'll say he, he didn't get nationwide famous, but he got regionally kind of famous. Um, and, and then he went off and did some, some really crazy things. And, uh, you know, his, his place really took a dive and that affected that, you know, those types of things just affect everybody else that's doing ministry in the area. Um, so it's been, you know, that, that spiritual conversation here always starts um, with that kind of weight, whether it's the collapsed Catholic, the, you know, granddaughter of the burned over district, or, you know, I, I I've, was brought into the grand evangelical movement in the, the mega church idea, and uh, it, it just didn't work out. Or it has, or it does work out, but they're, you know, they're off doing their own little thing, which as often or not is not, you know, is not teaching Christianity as much as it's simply a, you know, a spiritual way station. Yeah, that that must be really hard to see. Let's return to the religious question in just a minute. I want to ask you about what you think some of the best things are about being in Rochester. Oh, the glorious summers. Um, <laughs> the weather, people, it's like, yeah, you pay for it. As I tend to say, you pay for it from, let's say, late November through early April because you, you'll get snow and lots of it. 
from late November through early April. You you will get snow on Easter. You can get snow on Easter. Um, <laughs> but from um, for, but from mid May until late October, early November, you're it's just gorgeous. It never gets you know it's like seventies eighties um, and wonderful. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, local type things in some ways work. Um, it's like uh, local government actually works here. Now I've been, you know, I've lived in St. Louis and I've lived in small town America and I've lived in Poughkeepsie, you know, or the other side of New York. And in none of those places did local government work. <laughs> what you would expect them to do, they just didn't do or they did poorly. But um, here in Rochester, it works, along with lots of um, – and there's lots of things I'll say, like, you know, what you would call a civic society type things um, that are still working. Wonderful, you know, whether it's – the uh, it's not just you know like the the baseball teams and you know you lots of usually sports things, but not just sports things. There's other things as well. Um, lots of civic society that's still going on. Now I will tell you that um, part of my experience, you know, we, we as pastors kind of complain about the sports guys all the time because well they started doing sports on sunday morning and or that if we only had the attention that we think the sports guys do um we we would be you know the church used to have that and we don't have it anymore you know that's a typical rant um i've coached little league for seven years now um i think maybe more but um i'll tell you that those things work but they're working the same way that congregations are still working, that there's a thin bench of people that are doing everything <laughs> that make it continue to work, that dedicate themselves, that this is my mission or this is what I do. Um, and everybody else in some ways free rides on that, but they get the great experience of having these wonderful things that work um, you know, while, but it's being, kept together by you know small numbers of people um maybe it always was thus but that that's not my impression at least it was never my impression from say deep memories of a childhood uh growing up that those type of things were kept afloat by everybody and now it's you know smaller groups yeah so you know the weather and and just how things the civic society is pretty good around here that's really good to hear. On the flip side, what are some of the challenges of Rochester? You've already mentioned paying for those beautiful summers. What else would you say if somebody was thinking about moving there? You sh you would say, ah, oh, you got to be aware of this. Man, <laughs> the winters are bad. I know I've said that, but I really have to emphasize the winters are bad, um, especially when you get a bad one. We had a couple we, a few years ago. We had a couple bad ones in a row, and I was like, "Okay, I'm getting older," and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> I don't know if I can take another one of these." Luckily, we've had a couple of nicer ones, but uh, you know, the winters are bad. Um, the um, 
the if you have kids, the schools, the schools may be good in a generic sense, um, but you know, the the taxes are so high that you, you're nobody. You you unless you're a millionaire, it doesn't matter. Um, you're not going to you're you're not going to send. There really aren't. The only, the only private schools that exist anymore here are uh, high-end Catholic prep. Um, okay. So, you know, unless you can afford to pay $30,000 to continue, you know, that kind of schooling, um, you're going to go to the public school. And the public schools um, are about what you did. You know, they're... they're I don't want to say they're bad. They're they're really good for what they are, but they're just you know perfect representations of what's coming out of uh, ed schools today. Um, and by that you mean really... the sort of evangelical progressivism and the kind of shock troops yeah, of the yeah. new world kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, shock troops of the new world order, uh, the new normal. Yeah, I, I love your term there. That that you know. Uh, progressive evangelical or evangelical progressive um, that that they um, your kids when they go there will be propagandized uh, quite a bit for this particular lifestyle or this particular way of living um, and you will not have any ability to you really will not have any ability to push back against it other than in the sanctity of your own home it just you know it, it's not going to happen. Um, and you know, it, it, it's, and I, I get to the point where I'm kind of worried even there that, um, you know, if your kids say the wrong thing at school and they assume it's coming from your parents, man, you know, you're attracting the eye of Sauron on you. <laughs> yeah. Good, good reasons to get your kids out of government schools, I suppose. I know. <laughs> And that's the problem. And, you know, I say that's the problem in Rochester that doing that is darn near impossible unless you're homeschooling, you know, because it's just the, the tax rates are so high that you know, anybody that's working a normal job, kind of thing. anybody that's yeah. a normal job, can't, yeah, there just is not the money left over to, uh, to do it. Yeah, that's brutal. You know, I, it, it, even if you were doing it, even if you were like a two family, two income family, and they'd have to be two really good incomes, you know, to have enough left over of the second one after taxes, and it would probably pretty much all go to. Now, maybe it's just a continuation that way that a lot of people live that way that the entire second income more or less just pays for uh, daycare as you, for younger kids. We run a preschool. And we see that quite a bit. We're, we, we're cheaper than a lot of places. Um, and, we, and we consistently say we're a preschool. Um, but a lot of people come in and are part of it. And, you know, we kind of know that their, you know, the, their salary is paying for us to raise their kids. Hmm. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a very strange Strange time to be in America. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. 
Folks, if you like podcasts, you will enjoy Audible. It's a service that gives you a audiobook to listen to each month of your choice from a large library. And they want to get you started with a free trial offer that includes an audiobook that you get to keep. So go to lutherancartographer.com slash audible to get your free audiobook and start your free trial today. If you're not sure what book to check out, I recommend taking a look at Pastor Jonathan Fisk's Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Should Break As Often As Possible. This was recently released on Audible. I'm very excited about it. In the book, Pastor Fisk goes through the classic pitfalls of moralism, mysticism, and rationalism, as well as several others. Check it out at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. Let's get back to the show. Let's go on and talk about what it's like to be a Lutheran there. You've already mentioned the the religious atmosphere of this burned-over area of the remnants of the uh, Second Great Awakening, and we've also talked about the number of lapsed Catholics. What else would you say listeners might be interested in knowing about the Lutheran experience in Rochester? Well, the Lutherans used to be because the mi- migration east, compared to, I'd say, you know, Lutherans who um, the Saxons and the Missouri Synod experience usually starts with the Saxons in, in Missouri. And, you know, they came up from the south. They came through, through there. Uh, most of the Lutherans, or a lot of Lutherans, started coming in from the east. And they trekked across the Great Lakes, leaving all kinds of things. And so there's, you know, the Buffalo Synod, which is a very big early um, Lutheran entity. Um, and there's even connections, you know, in this area and stuff like that with what used to be called the general synod and the Pennsylvania ministerium and things like that. We're talking about 18th, early 19th century type things. Um, Lutheranism has a long history here in those regards, and it's left a lot of congregations in its, in its wake and that type of thing. So there are quite a few congregations that dot here a lot of them are in smaller towns or smaller areas um lutheranism used to be a much much bigger thing um my impression and this is somebody's you know i wasn't part of it but my impression is that um what used to be a very defined identity that was known in the area and like that um, was lost between like, I I talk around like 1964 as being peak church, Um, you know, go from like 1964 to probably the late eighties. That entire identity I think was lost in the area um, to the point that um, Lutheranism is just a non-entity in a lot of cases, even though there's lots of these congregations that still dot the ground. There's no recognition of it. You know, St. Mark's has been here in one point, has been at its current location in its current place since 1911. Um, It existed as a congregation before that, um, and it existed as one before that that spoke German as early as 1884. So, you know, there's an 1884 connection in German 
Uh, and the first, we joked around the first church split happened in 1901 when uh, the kids of that, of those German speakers wanted to speak English. And so they split and um, some of them kept speaking German. Uh, the others founded St. Mark's um, and started speaking English. Um, and uh, 20 years later, 15 years later, the remains of the German congregation come back in. Um, but, you know, so, so, you know, the Lutheran experience is, is one of having these congregations that have a long history, uh, but very few people understanding or knowing that history. And I even say that it's been, I would say it's now been three years ago. Uh, my, 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 my chapel, our, our sanctuary, uh, has stained glass windows on the sides. And the bottom of the stained glass windows have names on them. Um, and we buried, I would say, about three years ago, the last person who is kind of like a direct descendant of those names on those stained glass windows. Um, so there's that. The, these congregations now exist um, in a different sense. Uh, they're no longer family-owned enterprises or, or long-term family things. It's people that have come in from the area uh, for, for jobs, people who, are, who, who have found the Lutheran Church through other means. Um, that's the, you know, the, that's the people that you see coming into the Lutheran Church. Um, Catholics who are tired of what the Catholic Church looks like in the area. Um, which includes lots of bad things. Uh, you know, it, 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 um, so, so you end up being a, you know, a, I, I like, it ends up being you know, a, a hospital ward in some ways, or, you know, a spiritual hospital ward in that a lot of people coming through who have been burned in other ways, but have find something in Lutheranism that's a little different. I see. That makes sense. Let's take it up to the, the present day as well. We've talked uh, kind of about the, the march of history and how, how, things, how much things have changed. What's it like right now to, to be a Lutheran in terms of day-to-day -day life interacting with the, the culture at large? Is, it a, is Rochester a very secular place or is it have some religious sensibility? What would you say the day-to-day -day looks like for you and your congregants? It's very, very secular. Um, it's a very, very secular place. Um, it doesn't... Um, there are pockets of spirituality, um, but you also have it mixed in. Like I, One of the things that I often say is I, I, I like me meeting honest pagans, and sometimes you see these honest pagans actually reemerging. Um, that they don't have uh, you know, a deep experience with Christianity. Um, the, the way that you can kind of think of, you know, we think of, uh, in history, um, you know, Link, Abraham Lincoln is not you know, an Orthodox Christian by any stretch of the imagination, yet you go and read his inaugural addresses, and it's drenched with that kind of Christian imagery. He's a product of Christendom. Um, where I'm at, there is no such thing as Christendom anymore. So nobody is getting a formation in Christianity that 
is not actively engaged in a church somewhere. Um, and that's now, you know, 30 year olds have grown up in that, you know, 30 year olds don't have that connection. And so you're meeting 30 year olds or you can meet 30 year olds that, um, honestly just don't know what church even is. And so you can have conversations with them when they, it's like, well, what do you do? It's like, I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, where at, or what, 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 what does that entail? What do you do? You know, and so you get, you can have honest conversations about that um, with with people. If you, you know, especially if you catch them a little bit off guard, but you can have honest conversations. Whereas even I'll say at the start of my ministry here, 15 years or 10 years ago, yeah, more like 15, um, you know, it, it was the, the remnants of that kind of Christendom idea were still floating around. Um, and you still have that kind of, and, and I, I think part of the pastoral challenge is that people who are 60 or older still live in that era. People who are 50 and younger don't. And so there are demands and there are things, and especially when you realize that the vast majority of your uh, monetary ability to continue to do things exists with those 60-year-olds. Plus, you know, um, you have to talk a different language with them. Because there are still people involved in there who I would say are cultural Christians, you know, everybody's got a church and this is just, this happens to be mine or everybody's got a place and this is where I go. By the time you get down to 40 year olds, nobody is there who doesn't believe it. Yeah. Very different situation between, and it's a stark divide between those two groups. Yeah. That's a, I, yeah, I love the way that you just articulated that because that's something that, I've been thinking about for a while, though not in those terms, and I never could quite put my finger on it. But hearing you say it that way, that makes a lot of sense and reflects a lot of what what I'm seeing at my in my local parish as well. As we even the some of the forty year olds, like they just don't understand like the challenges that I, I hate the the phrase, but younger people are are facing in terms of where the culture is at and what their uh, uh, what their job prospects are like, what their uh, marriage prospects are like. They just there's just this huge gap of like misunderstanding what other generations are going through. These life scripts that they all, you know, they might have rewritten rewritten them around the edges or ignored some of them, but these life scripts that they more or less followed and had good successful lives or had, you know, were, were able to be launched in successful lives. Um, that 20 year old today, there aren't any, yeah. there just aren't, um, you know, the idea of, you know, had a funeral for a wonderful man, uh, 90 something years old. Um, he, uh, served in world war two, um, came back, uh, met his wife before he had gone, but he met his wife in Walther League. They spent their summers um, at the district camp 
Um, and you know, their entire life was part, part and parcel of this. And it was, you know, the script was, he met his, he, he met his, the love of his life, you know, at camp and church and they were forever part of, you know, the congregation. She was baptized, confirmed, uh, you know, married and buried from the same congregation. Um, he was one that came in later, but you know, you know, when he married, he was married and then we just buried him. Um, but those scripts are just gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the chance of walking in, you know, unless we as congregations uh, start working together better um, or figure that out, the, the chance of a 20 year old finding their, his, his or her, you know, his future wife or his or her spouse at church is just not strong. Um, we don't, we don't have enough people in those, those age ranges to do that. Yeah. And those that we do have been, yeah, it's a very tough challenge. Yeah. It's a tough challenge. No, I think, you know, that's why I said we could, um, you'd either have to collapse. Like I, you know, I joke around. It's like, there are four congregations, of the LCMS within a 10 mile circle right around where I am. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, all four of them are struggling in various different ways. Um, all four of them, you know, but all four, you know, if, if all four of them decided to get together, they could form one really good congregation, strong congregation. They all kind of look the same. Um, but to do that would require a level of commitment and work that people are just not willing to give right now. Um, and there's also, you know, a sense of, you know, well, I'm giving up my history or my identity or things like that. And whereas the congregation I'm serving at, like I talked about burying the last person associated with those names, might be willing to do that. A couple of the other ones wouldn't even think about that. They're not there yet. And, and, and of course, you know, we don't have... I don't want to get into the whole discussion right now, but of course, there's also the the disadvantages of the the merging that then you lose people along the way. But I'm sure you know all those things and have thought very long and hard about them. But I want to move on and talk more about what it's like to raise a family there. We've already talked about the schooling situation that's really difficult, but tell us a little bit more about how how raising a family is there in Rochester. Raising a family in Rochester probably depends more upon – now, I can imagine if you were at a congregation that was larger than mine, maybe the, the church could still function as a family-type center in that, in that way. Um, most of the congregations, like I talked about the Los Four congregations, none of those four can really function as a family center-type thing. They just don't have the numbers to do that. Um, so most of your family-type activities are going to be associated with what I what I called earlier the civic society. Whether it's a child gets involved in scouts and brings and, and the parents are then part of scouts, or um, you know, like we like I've done in you know with coaching baseball, you know, little league. You know, you're coaching little league and you're involved in the little league pro stuff, which gets you involved in the you know a group of people that are engaged around that. Um, there's these little civic society, these little platoons that are remarkably alive, and that's what family life kind of looks like. It's centered, or, you know, it's child centered in that sense. Um, 
and, and it is available. Um, although I will tell you that there, once again, there's a divide, even in West Henrietta here, um, those kind of civic entities um, probably pull from mostly I would say probably pull from the top half of the economic curve. Um, I, I probably don't find myself in that top half of the economic curve, but as the pastor of a place, you're part of, you know, there's a certain amount of social capital involved there. Um, so, you know, I get part of parcel of that. Um, there are a lot of places or a lot of kids. I can see it with, you know, just the area I grew up, you know, I, we live in here, um, that, you know, the kids, you know, the, the, they, there just isn't any of that, that the, it's not, you know, for depending on where you're at, it's not that family friendly. You go to school, you go to work and there, is, and there isn't much else. Um, some of them are connected with, you know, long-term family. Um, there's some people who are here long-term. Um, and so you get, large family gatherings but even that's breaking up um because i I know our um i know people who who you know they talk about having great grandparents um and and, you know there's still a great grandparent around and then there's like four grandparents and there are uh you you know but but by the time you get that and you, you but and the grandparents have all kinds of cousins and other people that are there or there's all kinds of cousins in the parents' age because of that. And then when you get down to the kids, there's like three. <laughs> and so you see this narrowing down of things. And um, so it can be really interesting. And there are stuff. But you have to put yourself out to be part of it. That makes sense. Uh, and there are lots of people. You have to put yourself out to be part of it. And there are people who are maybe even be, you know, part of it on the surface, but not in deeper ways. Like, you know, you get like 12 kids on a baseball team and, you know, three to six of them are there, you know, and their parents are involved and, you know, you have fun and, you know, and things like, like that six of them are their parents drop them off or one of them does somebody else picks them up. Uh, they'll miss every other week because they're shuttling between divorced parents here and there. Um, so in that sense, it reflects a lot of American society at large. Um, but if you're willing to, to put in the effort, um, Rochester is in better shape than a lot of places because it still has these, civic society entities that are working. Yeah, that makes sense. So Pastor Brown, we're running a little short on time, but I want to make sure that we hit uh, the one of my favorite parts, and that is asking you about what are some of your favorite things to see and do and places to eat. But we don't have much time. So if you could give us, I know it's hard. It's like picking your favorite hymn, but one good restaurant, one good thing to do. Oh my. Um, <laughs> uh, restaurant wise, I'm not going to give you a restaurant. I, I tend to be eating local restaurants. Um, but I'll tell you, there, there's a wonderful donut place 
called Mr. Er, er, uh, called Donut Delight. Dan Delight is guy, and uh, you'll have uh, apple fritters that will you know give you a heart attack immediately. Uh, <laughs> they're so big, um, and but even better are these uh, almond croissants. Are just oh, they're so good. Um, now it takes me about twenty minutes to drive there to pick up these things, and twenty minutes to drive back, but they're worth it. Uh, <laughs> um, favorite thing to do um, a lot of people um, if you are an outdoors person it's a wonderful area in those regards even in the winter um, but you know you can you can ride you know you can even go ride the ride the Erie Canal um, which is a big thing around here you know you whistle your 16 tons as much as you want right along here because we're right on the Erie Canal um, and you know so there's a lot of outdoorsy type stuff in those regards. Um, that's, that's around. Um, I think there's also a lot of, um, <sighs> Rochester always has been a little bit, if you like Philharmonic, if you like upper crusty type things, Rochester is excellent from having had, from having had Kodak here, which has the Eastman School of Music, which is probably like after Juilliard, the next one underneath there. Um, and there's a center of excellence, you know, the Philharmonic, the Eastman School. There, there's all kinds of wonderful, you know, the jazz festival that goes on. There's all kinds of things that happen, artsy, you know, artsy type things that are not that are not middle brow, but that are like highbrow <laughs> artsy things. And if you like that, they, Rochester is an excellent site for all of that. Fantastic. Now, as we start to close out the podcast, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to point our listeners where you'd like your church's website, places to follow you online. Where would you like to point our listeners? The, the website is probably a good one. We, it's St. Mark's Lutheran, but all spelled out S A I N T M A R K S. L u t h e r a n dot org. Um, it, you know, that, that's you know, and I post weekly the the sermons and anything else that goes up there. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter if you want, but uh, honestly, I don't know if I would follow me on Twitter. I'm <laughs> I'm obnoxious. <laughs> I, I do. I'm as, <laughs> on Twitter, I'm kind of Mark Brown. Um, I'm not I'm not Pastor Mark so much as 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 I am there. Um, but, but, you know, Brown MP is, is just who I am there for on Twitter. Um, either one of those places, uh, you, you would get a flavor of that and be able to contact me. Uh, as they say, anybody who follows me on Twitter, I follow back. So it doesn't, uh, uh, you don't worry about that. Uh, and, and, uh, and we, and we do the, as I said, post the sermons and the podcasts and they're available, uh, through Google, you know, through all the same places you probably can find this one. You'll find ours as well if you want. Wonderful. Thank you for your time today, Pastor Brown. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? It's kind of funny, but I would tend to say, as one who has traveled a lot of, or lived a bunch of different places, I really enjoy Rochester. It's, it's been a wonderful place. Um, but I would tend to say, um, also as one who's lived in a lot of places, that, that old line about the grass is always greener, tends to be true. The place that you're at is not as bad as you think. 
<laughs> you know, if you're looking at over something, um, you know, sometimes I would say, no, it's like, look again at where you're living and where can you get involved that would make those civic society things work that currently aren't. And that might be the best advice that I could ever give somebody. <laughs> that makes sense. Thank you again. God's peace. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, check out the show notes page for the show. It's at lutherancartographer.com slash 64. Be sure and check out that Audible offer along with that free audiobook. You can do that at lutherancartographer.com slash audible. I want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or on Stitcher or on your favorite podcast app. That way you don't miss an episode. And until next time, I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.